0: Succession, White Lotus. Bridgerton, Billions, Arrested Development. As nine to five Americans, we used to pay lip service to the potential of everyone becoming their own CEO. That the only thing separating us from the big office is grit, moxie, stick to and other great words for work ethic. But each of those award-winning shows feature children who have fully inherited their wealth and their job. Most notably, Secession and Arrested Development, which are both about rich hairs squabbling for control over daddy's company. Living life as a high-powered CEO has become so abstract for most of us, it's akin to royalty. Our real-life analogs like Musk and Benzos occupy our imaginations in the same way British nobility did a hundred years ago. At the end of the Industrial Revolution, girls dreamed of marrying royal princes with vast family fortunes, thanks in part to the writings of Hans Christian Andersen, while young men dreamed of striking it rich in the gold rush. Today, Fifty Shades of Grey features a CEO who pulls a college girl into his economic strata. In fact, CEO in tycoon romance is its own genre on Amazon and Goodreads. When teenagers are asked if they'd rather work a typical job or risk launching their own business, 60% say they want to be their own boss. That is their own CEO. This according to the survey by Junior Achievement USA. CEOs have become our Prince Charming. They're our royalty. Becoming CEO is the promise every self-help book makes. And yet, we watch television shows about CEOs and their children, our vision looks more like an imperial dynasty and less like a bootstrap story. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Lamence, The Extrovert.
1: And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of NODA on the internet and get to the facts. So, Todd, you and I have talked about something on this podcast, which is the idea that we are all rich in our own way, right?
0: Yes. We all have different skills, and you hear that, you know. We're all geniuses in our, in whatever, who we're, we're meant to be, or blessed to be, or...
1: Right. And and if you like we've done episodes about how like optimism and family and and social conscientiousness they make you rich. Like not just in a touchy-feely way, but it honestly you you get more wealth over your lifetime by being social conscientious than anything else.
0: As well as as well as inheritances. Your your better inheritance is not dollars and cents, it's soft skills and social skills.
1: Right, and education. Um now there's also uh the idea that we are rich just in the time we're living in, that you can't be um, poor in today's economy because we all have access to food easily. Like, we're not starving. We're, in fact, suffering because we're all going to McDonald's too often. And, like, we all have shelter of some sort even if we don't have houses. Like, if we're rent-burdened, we still live under something. And we have smartphones.
0: Yeah, I hear that, too. Like, you hear that statistic that if you live in this country, you're the 2% richest in the whole world just by living here you don't have to be you could be homeless here and you're still <laughs> have it better than most right. people in, in you know second and third world countries
1: there was there was a congressman uh jason Chafetz who kind of got infamous because he basically was like saying that the reason why poor people are poor is because they keep buying iphones or smartphones like it was oh, really God. a famous clip Americans have choices and they've got to make a choice. And so maybe rather than getting that new iPhone that they just love and they wanna go spend hundreds of dollars on that, maybe they should invest it in their own that, health care.
0: That's like, that's like the that's a COVID thing with everyone's spending all their money on, on Michael Jordan's shoes, right?
1: It does uh, limit and cap what we're doing with the states, but gives them more flexibility, Was there's what we heard the governors who were in town literally uh, last week, they told us we want more flexibility. I mean, it, it, one, I mean, everybody's paying for utilities and doing every, everyone's doing all of their everything on their phone, so you can't live without one. But also that is the most modern version of let them eat cake that I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so I want to start this episode with a little bit of a downer with statistics, just to sort of like prove that thought wrong. Because we we want to start with, yes, we all do want to be our own CEOs, but there's a reason for that. We we have a desire to, to rise above, Like like where does the the desire to bootstrap your way to the American dream start. And I think that this era of people, like like it's not generational weakness. Like a lot of people think that, you know, the, the upcoming generations are weak or that millennials are weaker compared to boomers or that boomers are weaker compared to the greatest generation that back in my day, we ate nails and lived on a farm. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to kind of like splash some statistics on us. And then we go from there. Like we build up, we we start from what does that bootstrap look like when it starts and then let's all bootstrap our way to being CEOs today basically I could certainly um,
0: use I could certainly use the raise <laughs> this this show is well, not we, this show is not paying what I promised you it would
1: so. <laughs> no I am not swimming in tigers and cocaine like, like we thought of um, but I, I will say that um, okay so, at least we are doing slightly better than uh, serfs from the uh, Middle Ages, <laughs> so that's where we're starting. It, we we want to take it back to basically the start of pay, like or the start of you know annual taxes and annual income and annual pay. We were um, we were just trading
0: so, we were just trading felts for this or what <laughs> we're going to, right exactly some kind of coinage yeah, of we, some sort.
1: <laughs> we had to, we had to get all the way back to basically um, trading for like. Yeah, for, uh, giving a portion of whatever you farm for where you live is is how far back we have to go. So there was this uh, couple of viral articles that circulated a few years ago about serfs. And the idea was medieval peasants only worked about 150 days a year. So that's a lot of vacation time. <laughs> and at the time I read this, I was going through COVID work, meaning like I was at work every single day of the week. And people who were working during COVID oftentimes were like overworked, overstressed. So I was looking at this. I'm like, I I was doing what a lot of people do my age, which is looking at serfdom and being like, wouldn't that be nice all that vacation time? (laughs) Um, Somebody pointed out online, they're like, you guys are living in the richest golden peak of American, you know, of of life, of existence on this planet because you have smartphones and, and, you know, you have health coverage and things like that um and they were saying arguing that you know serfs didn't have it better than you obviously um you know with that vacation time came early death and also you know the pay of being a serf so i actually did the math on it I, just for the research of the show and because i don't value my own time enough <laughs> i wanted to work out exactly how much a labor or craftsman in the medieval period would make so i can prove that um that congressman who said that we're all rich for having iphones was full of it so a labor craftsman back in the um the era of serfdom would earn 500 or 500 to 1500 pence a year which a gallon of ale is about a pence so if an american case of beer is about 20 bucks that's 2.25 gallons and if we're just talking beer math here a good (laughs) craftsman back in serfdom would be earning about four gallons of beer a day which basically means about 50 bucks a day. Okay. So they they were making half as much if they're earning, you know, um, minimum wage in some states. So they're not doing great money-wise. But then again, they did have a heck load of time off. Their rent to the landlords was about 10% of whatever they grew, whereas Americans spend closer to 50% of their income on rent. So... I'm going to say it suck at congressman Jason Chaffetz like we <laughs> the reason I'm 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 taking us back also to serfdom is um we compared CEOs in our opening narrative to royalty like the amount of money they have uh the the average we we're, we we're calling them imperial CEOs that's not a a term that this podcast is coining that's a term that um I believe British magazines coined and the idea is it's a CEO who is ultra-wealthy, who is running a company like it's a kingdom, and they are making all the decisions. And basically, we're, we're going to play the game here. What if everybody was king all at once? Uh, what if everybody in the world, all those teenagers who said they wanted to own their own companies when they grew up, what if we all got our wish? What if we were all CEOs all at the same time? Real so, quick, do
0: CEOs think that... Um, and, and not just CEOs, but the higher class. Do they, do they think us common folk are just we, we wouldn't be able to handle all the all the hard work and all the management of staff? And <laughs> do they think we're incapable of it?
1: So that is I will actually before we get into um, our statistics, I should say that in preparation for these three episodes, I read a couple of books about f- written by CEOs And then I read some articles written by people who studied CEOs and Wall Street traders. And then I read, um, there's going to be so many articles that we're going to link off in our studies that are about the study of how the minds of high-powered CEO works. And basically what it's looking at is most CEOs know they're lucky. Most of them know that they're privileged. Most of them feel like they did the work to get there so they earned it. And you're right, most of them think that People couldn't handle what they do. And by and large, I actually believe they're right. I think most CEOs for modern companies are doing something that is extraordinarily niche. And uh, most humans can't do it. But at the same time, when we get into how they are compensated and, um, you know, what that structure looks like, I believe that most CEOs are compensated to a degree where it is no longer, um, the motivation is no longer money. The motivation becomes almost a scorekeeping against the American system, like like against economy. <laughs> that sounds very very bizarre. So we'll we'll start with. Okay, actually, I should probably reverse that question. Todd, in your experience, when you have met or or you know, how many CEOs have have you met? And in your experience, does it seem like they have skills that you know a normal human doesn't have? Do they seem like a a genius sat down to the table with you?
0: They seem like it's almost a certain type. I almost see it like an almost like an athlete. They have this extremely serious, this extremely intense, um, stoic presence. Uh, they're like the very stern father.
1: I think that's very, yeah. I think that's really accurate, actually.
0: You know, I can't explain. They're not warm. They're certainly not. You know. They're <laughs> You know, we go warm and confident. You know, <laughs> confident, yes, but I, I feel like we're all a bunch of bugs around them, except for their inner circle. They're usually closely guarded.
1: One of the um, journalists that we're going to get to uh, says that most, if not all, the CEOs he interviewed, they don't consider themselves geniuses at all. They consider themselves very street smart to the point where that's their Olympic sport, like being yeah being street smart and I can being see clever. that
0: you know swinging through these vines of this this corporate jungle and and all the backstabbing that goes on and all the copying people on the emails they were the slickest of all those they knew who to partner with it's like a really good game of survivor you know yes and the stakes weren't a million dollars the stakes were when you win this game it's a million dollars a month
1: that's that's a really good way of looking at it it is um a sport that they honed themselves to get good at and the, the argument that I may be making by the end of this, and that I think a lot of people do, is what are they bringing to the table as far as resources and economy, and and are they, you know,
0: and people and ideas.
1: Yeah, are they inventing something? But um, and and the, the capitalist argument is yes, they're providing jobs, and they are um, you know they're they're providing innovation that they're they're enriching uh, our economy and when we get into how uh, corporate buybacks and stock buybacks work we're gonna really kick that sand like we're gonna kick sand in that the face of that argument but for for now we are just going to start with you know what is the difference between you and i or a serf of this era and a ceo um so actually first question how much on a guess do you think a ceo makes in this country just like all ceos you know, take so the average of all of them, or the median. You take the
0: $5 million companies and the $50 billion companies. Um, you know, they always, of course, talk about the big ones, you know, the, the big companies. But I would say the median, I, I would say the median one makes probably $1 million a year.
1: That is extremely close. A The median pay for a CEO in America, and you said it, it's between the, the little companies and the, the jumbo companies. The median pay for a CEO is 790000 a year. Um, so it's it's maybe lower than some people were thinking because we all think like the CEO of Apple or the CEO of Pepsi or something. But um, it's a lot of CEOs are, are running little, you know, ma yeah. and pa kind of companies.
0: Yeah, regional little uh, construction companies or a couple of restaurants. They're not, you know.
1: Yeah. Re- regardless, CEOs. Um, are vastly overpaid if you just look at history. Um, CEO pay since 1978 alone has skyrocketed 1322%. 1000%? Yeah. since since the 80s. So like people look back at like Rockefeller or Carnegie's age and say, you know, those are the kind of CEOs we're celebrating, the inventor CEOs and it's like no, 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 no. We have you know, um, corporate political gamesmanship in the office and the people that win that make, you know, a thousand times more than a, a, or a thousand percent more than a Rockefeller did. So, um, we are not even comparing things properly, like as far as history is concerned.
0: And their margins weren't the same as the steel business and the oil business. Let's face it. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. CEOs uh, are paid 351 times as much as a typical worker are in uh, that was in 2020. That's increased since then. So um, and and by the way, uh, countries vary on this, like some countries actually cap what a CEO can make. Some of them just make it harder for them to do shady things like um, uh, stock buybacks when it's incentivized, like when it when it benefits the CEO more than the company so the united states has yeah
0: well from my studies too i've noticed because yeah there's there's stuff that goes on in america that wouldn't go on other countries and i have a theory on that just from my reading and studying for this episode was that i think the government's there are so corrupt that they're like hey you guys aren't going to steal that's our fucking job
1: (laughs) right okay so I um, just completely unrelated to this, I listened to a podcast called um, Adam ruins Everything and uh, his, his podcast is called factually. and there was a great episode about um, he had an expert in Chinese media on, and they were talking about the difference between like politicians and CEOs and like how um, uh, how the how the structures of, of that kind of, um, what do you call it corruption. They, they were saying that American corruption is just more advanced. That Chinese corruption, we laugh at it. We say, oh, you know, obviously politicians are skimming and stealing and, and their CEOs are just not as good at it as ours are. We have had so much more time and we've gotten so much better at <laughs> building a tax system that can benefit CEOs. That's really what it is, is, is we just built a really advanced tax system that will help CEOs the most. That makes no sense.
0: <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. doesn't it?
1: And um, here's a a bonus fact. If anyone's like, we're making it up about how much our tax system and laws benefit CEOs. Um, There was a Princeton um, study that came out years ago. This was like back in 2012, where they looked at just all bills passed ever. And they looked at, does the general population want it? Do wealthy elements of the population, i.e. CEOs and companies want it? And they found that if the population wanted it, like the majority of the population wanted it, just bill by bill, what did we pass? And they found out that it did not matter what people voted on. However, if, if the elite people in America wanted it, like if CEOs and lobbyists wanted it, it passed. So <laughs> uh, we're going to link to that Princeton study. You better bet we are going to, just because I, I want to start this episode with the groundwork of... CEOs get their way and you know this is how much they're paid and it's insane in America because we've built a system that favors them almost exclusively um, I'm by the way I don't know about you but we should probably declare whether we want to be our own CEOs um, Todd could you start with that
0: I can't handle that kind of responsibility I am not... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not the money it's not the money <laughs> I don't want to do any more work that I'm already doing. I, I'm happy in this. Um, what would we say? We're we're not we're not upper class. We're not middle class. We're we're flirting with. Uh, I don't know where we're at, but <laughs> I'm happy where I'm at, Joe.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: How about you? Um, you you're a power hunter. I, you are kind of a you know what I mean. You want the money, the sex, the drugs, the tigers, the everything. You want to you want everyone to say you want to walk in a room and everyone get a little scared, don't you, Joe?
1: I want to pull a Lehman Brothers. I want to become a very competent CEO of a very, um, you know, high-regarded establishment, and then like just drive it to the ground, like I'm putting weights into a air balloon. Like I, I want to. That's You're how to dick, make history.
0: That's a dick fool thing, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I want. I want to be the next dick fool, but I don't want to go to school to to earn that. Which, uh, that's probably why a lot of people say they want to be CEOs and they don't make it. But. <laughs> so
0: no i do you i know, guess i i think i think when i yeah. romanticize it i think of the hollywood version and i see myself in the suit and um i think when you think of a real ceo you think of that handsome you know grain man who who knows it all and everyone hangs on their every word and they can't talk to you right now because they have to get on their jet for the dinner right it's very it's very exciting it's very sexy
1: yeah i've i've thought about so um getting into to writing um Lately, I have done more of sort of like the organizing other people who are getting into writing and helping them with their business. And the more I kind of flirt with just administration and and helping set up intellectual property systems, the more I can actually kind of imagine running a company, if a small one. And so I... I and that's that's what most CEOs in America are like. Most CEOs are not the imperial CEOs we're talking about. The vast majority of them run small companies. I can see that. I can see that for both of us because we are kind of like I. I will just say for Todd. Todd is a natural leader, and I can see him running, you know, uh, being a CEO of something small and and efficient. Um, and I will only burn down a company if it is. Very, very large. Otherwise it's not worth it. You 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 put a small company to the ground, that's nothing in history, so that's not fun.
0: Well and I think a CEOs too is not being the real I, I personally think that it's it's their team that's around them. And for you and I yeah. we would we would be good front men because we give good we could give speeches and we could tell people what they want to hear, we could lie to the board. I think we would be very comfortable with all those things.
1: <laughs> right. In our Dick Fold episode, we found out that the best leaders in companies are not charismatic. They're actually just like, they understand the business very well. They grew up in it. They they know how to listen to people. They know how to take good yeah. advice. Like, they they ask a lot of questions, so
0: and I actually fluent. think that those... They've been fluent in it. Yeah. They listen at all the meetings, and they, they know how to talk it, speak it involuntarily, mm-hmm. like breathing, so yeah.
1: Right. I don't know if uh, those skills make you worth uh, CEO money, <laughs> But, I mean, it, it certainly makes you worth something. Let's, let's start with our first big myth. Our first big myth is, could the economy handle 60% or more of us becoming CEOs? Like, if everybody who got their wish, kind of like the whole genie thing, like, if everybody had their wish all at once or everybody got their prayer answered all at once, what would the world look like? Um, it would, I mean, I assume it would be a disaster. <laughs> Um, if everybody got their, got CEO money and owned their own company all at once, um, by the way, there's only $2.05 trillion circulating in notes at any given time in America. Um, so if everybody became the median CEO, not just an Imperial CEO, if everyone just made the 790k a year money and then they withdrew 1% of their annual income from the bank all at once, we'd run out of printed money immediately, period. (laughs) Um, so, so we're, not, we, we're not
0: producing enough. There's not just not enough flow. There's not enough of that out there to.
1: Right. Yeah. Just talking pure wealth standing. Um, we're not. There, the country would not be set up for something like that.
0: There's not enough to go around, Joe.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really would look like you know um, everybody got their wish at once, um, and I don't. I don't even want to think about inflation. I guess we could get away from federal debt easier. Because, I mean, last year we were in about 28 trillion federal debt. So if we're all CEOs, we could just all donate 10 percent of our annual income and America would just be purely out of debt. But I don't know if we even want that, because I've heard the argument from economists that debt actually makes us keep peace with other countries. So here is the biggest part, though. Um, If everybody was CEO rich, nobody would feel rich. Um, And that's something we'll hear time and again in our upcoming episode about the mind of somebody who has that kind of money. It's called the Easterland Paradox, and that was kind of something they found out in the 70s, which is uh, if everybody, if the the old question the Easterland Paradox found out is, if all of your neighbors were rich, would you be happy? No. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, no, yeah. You,
0: you have to stay ahead of the neighbors. Yeah, no, this one I know.
1: <laughs> right. On that episode, we found out people would rather be poorer than they are now if it meant their neighbors were even more poor so they could be the big fish.
0: That blows up the whole thing of, I just want everyone to do well. I always wish good things for other people, as long as they're not better off than we are.
1: Right, exactly.
0: You know, we talked about how um, you kind of, the healthcare thing, where during COVID, insurance companies' profits just went through the roof, to the point, Joe, that they are giving rebates.
1: Right, they were supposed to... um like they made double what they were supposed to, I think. We, we yeah. kept up on the articles about it in another episode, but they made so much money that they were supposed to rebate the American people and just decided not to.
0: So how do you think companies do, Joe? When you're the CEO and your company's not doing as well, you're not creating any new products, there's no new buzz, and you're laying people off, would you think you'd be taking a huge, huge pay cut because you're the, the king or queen of that company?
1: I have vaguely remember, I mean, like it's gotta happen, right? CEOs in a failing company, they gotta go down with the ship at some point.
0: Well, that just hasn't been the case, and we, we've got some studies, and we'll link up the articles about this. Um, this one's come from the Washington Post, and the I'm gonna get into it in a second, but a local company, a construction company that I've done some consulting work for, and the, the owner of it's a extremely conservative, man, great guy. Um, On his desk is a bobblehead Trump, and on his wall is a portrait of Ronald Reagan. So he's that conservative, Joe. Okay. But his company was struggling. Um, They do about $12 million a year. And when COVID hit, when they got that influx, that injection of stimulus money, all those um, loans, and then the payroll support, his company just flourished. So he laid people off. The people he did have got paid for free, and then he used those loans to to, to really, really grow his business. And then a lot of those loans were forgiven, which is, I, to me, is so funny because conservatives are always saying how they don't want handouts, right? <laughs> Until they get right. them. <laughs> uh.
1: I, I think it's. I think it's they they vote down safety nets, uh, social safety nets specifically. Considering those a handout, but when it comes to uh, business loans, it's it's all hands on deck.
0: Well, and then they're forgivable loans, and so the people who right. say the people say, "Well, they justify it too." And I'm just getting a loan. What's the big deal? But then when it's forgiven, they don't say they don't say anything about it. <laughs> right. They don't say thank you either. But regardless, I'm judging. Um, but so American billionaires over the last thirteen months their wealth in tough times has grown 55%. Isn't that crazy?
1: So while everybody else is struggling to stay in housing and struggling to get basically like like at-home jobs, billionaires have gotten 55% richer during COVID,
0: and this is during layoffs during pay cuts there hasn't been any wage increases and one of my one of my favorite ones right off was uh hilton hilton chief executive uh christopher nazita um he took home more than his take-home for his salary with bonuses was 55 million when his company was laying off employees and then the the kind of fast food sit-down restaurant chipotle which i love which is impossible to get people to work there because they're so busy. There's lines out the door. Um, they doubled, doubled their pay for their chief executive, Brian uh, Nicole.
1: I I was in a Chipotle during COVID in um, Beaverton, and there was one guy working the counter and like 19 people in line. And there was one person at the the cooks and they were just like, yeah, we can't keep people. They They won't pay us more. So no, everyone keeps walking out.
0: And then the west side, too, they, they have, you know, it's, it's low pay, it's high stress. Um, they've had a few of them that have just closed their doors. And it's not because they're not busy. It's because they're too busy and they can't staff the people. You would think right. if you have that kind of problem, you would do what, Joe? Any reasonable person would give a few buck more a raise. <laughs> it's an easy fix. But they care right. more about their own pay than the health of the company. or Certainly, the health, the pay, the wage the lifestyle of their employees.
1: Right. Double so the I start, CEO's pay. Yeah.
0: You know, and I always, we like to talk about Joe and I on this. So we talk about the super rich and stuff. So we did the things of kind of curious what, if you make that kind of money, you, it's kind of daydreaming, right? But we think about that as winning the lottery. You get 55 million. Some of these higher CEOs, Joe, they get that every year <laughs> as right. a percentage of their pay. Do you ever wonder what they spend all their money on?
1: I I like to assume that, like I, I hear so many um, news stories about like, oh, they're giving it all away to charity or they've they've joined a, a pledge to to have all their money given away at the end of their life. Or I like to believe some of it's noble, but honestly, I suspect it's all like, Russian oligarchs where it's crazy shit <laughs>
0: well, there's all kinds of weird stuff I'm gonna start with the big ones yeah you know oh God. the okay. famous late Steve Jobs you know, everyone knows Steve Jobs uh, he spent 131 million dollars on a yacht and sadly he, he wasn't able to enjoy it so I mean I'm sure it was custom it was built just for him and he passed away before it um, Larry Ellison he was um, he is CEO of Oracle. He bought 98% of a Hawaiian island. What? That's <laughs> 140. You can do that? It's 141 square. Yeah, this is not just something out in the Caribbean or so, you know, the middle of Asia. <laughs> this is That's what I was oh. just
1: thinking. Like that wasn't like a Micronesian island. That's yeah. part of Hawaii. That's crazy.
0: Um, here's another CEO, McLendon. Um, he used his old company's money. Okay, 5.9 million dollars in a year. To buy basketball tickets to the local team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, <laughs> which he owns a part of, which he's a part owner of, and that to me seems a little bit, uh, a little bit fishy, right?
1: Paying into his own team that much for yeah. tickets.
0: Um, there's a founder. His name is Lonnie Pilgrim. He's a founder of Pilgrim's Pride. Um, personal money into his company. To, he put money into his company to save it from bankruptcy. That's that's noble, isn't it? That's what a good CEO would do, right? Okay, if yeah, that
1: does actually sound like the the captain of a ship.
0: Yeah, you, you believe in your people, you believe in your product, you believe in your company. So I'm going to put my own money in, right, till we get back on the feet, and then um, I'm going to be a hero. But he made them repay him, um this is so funny to repay him, the company purchased his egg farm for twelve million dollars, and then he charged interest <laughs> payments uh, <laughs> an annual and an annual consulting fee for his own company of one point five million. so he bailed them out and then he fleeced them ten times as bad
1: <laughs> why Why does the egg farm sound so funny? that's that's like. Oh God! Like I want to be there for that meeting, just to fly on the wall when they're like, they're like, okay, how do we, how do we pay you back? We have a very generous, you know, package for you. And he's like, nope, I got a farm you're gonna buy. And everyone's just confused in the boardroom.
0: Well, this very, I'm gonna go back to this. It's it's called uh, Chesapeake Energy, and the McClendon. He was the one that did all the um, basketball tickets. He also did a very okay. strange thing. He he's a he's a history. Um, he's like us, he loves history. So he, he sold his antique map collection to his own company for $12 million.
1: <laughs> All these, okay, just flat selling assets to your own company, that seems, that screams to me of taxes. That that does not seem to me like something a company would want. Like, what are they going to do with the antique map collection? Are they going to put it in an office or like a boardroom? That That sounds to me like it is just a system of moving money and taxes around.
0: Well, and that's what Martha Stewart did. She earned $2 million by selling uh, her film rights and pr- pr- um, production rights of her TV show to her own company. So she just kind of... I anyway, mean, that's probably right. That's probably what it is. You know?
1: Okay. That makes sense.
0: And I'm going to wrap it up because there's just so many. I mean, I had to go through it. It took me a day to go through all these. There's so many stupid shit they spent money on and so many clever things that you would think they would be a little bit of shame, though. You would think that... You know, they're, they're board of directors that are supposed to kind of stopgate this stuff from getting it out of hand. Well, there's a, a CEO of Boston Scientific. Um, he was given to, you know, you move companies, you move, you have to relocate, right? Your company's moving from, you know, from New York to Boston or wherever, right? He was given right. a, a cost of living allowance in the amount of $1.3 So he was given a, to move. His salary, Joe, is already $33 million, I think you can afford to hire movers. <laughs>
1: right. I was just about to say, what if what if you got a, a moving uh, fee from your company that happened to be more than somebody makes in their lifetime?
0: But I got the last, and, the, and this is the best one. Um, this is a relocation expense, and it's crazy. It's off the charts. This go, this, this is a perk that goes to James Bernard. He's a CEO, CEO of the Shaw Group. Um. So they get companies, a lot of companies will pay their CEOs huge amounts, just big chunks of money to not compete or tell any of the company's secrets. If like somebody else, another company, if they decide to go to another company. So they pay him money to keep quiet. So not only does he get that money, he gets $15 million for him and his whole family even after he's dead. (laughs) So everything he knows is forever. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh my god
0: so his hairs are getting money to keep their mouths shut too so his kiddos and his wife and his mistresses no one says anything and they get 15 million bucks
1: that is a weird comedy in the making that is a movie about you know uh, children who all know the Bush's baked beans secret recipe and if any one of them squeals they'll stop earning millions of dollars <laughs> every year oh man I it it's one of those things where I know that hearing about too many people during a tragedy literally makes us numb to the tragedy. This almost makes me numb to money. Like hearing about this, hearing about how much money they make makes me almost numb to the concept of money, like listening to this. But we're we're going to we're going to kind of push forward. Oh, speaking of okay. Have I ever talked to you about horse
0: retirement homes? No. <laughs> no. You've talked to me about a lot of weird stuff, but not that one. <laughs>
1: I don't know how I stumbled into it, just randomly researching some, but something else. But I was looking for I was looking up something about like arguments against um, uh, but basically state funded retirement homes. the idea that like somebody uh, we're gonna have a lot of boomers sort of aging up to the point where they need assistance very soon if they don't already. And the idea is who's gonna take care of them if they didn't have enough kids or if they don't have a fund set aside or something. And there's going to be a lot of requirements for healthcare. And I just randomly stumbled into somebody online who was arguing about, you know, we, we can't fund people's retirement if they didn't save up for it. It's on them. They they didn't build their own safety net. So it's their fault. The state, you know, they don't want to pay for their retirement. And one of the people arguing about this happened to mention on the form they were arguing that, um, you know, they should have set aside money like they did. They had enough money to you know, even put their horse into retirement. A and horse? I got curious. <laughs> I was like, who is this money bags CEO who who was able to afford horse retirement? And turns out there are retirement homes where you go put your horse once he's past his age to where he can't like live without assistance anymore, can't run, can't do his tasks, whatever those are, even if it's just impressing tourists. And it, it's costly. It is insane. And the, the names of them, we will someday play a game on this podcast where I read out retirement home names like Shady Acres and Mossy Groves and things like that. And you get to guess whether it's a horse <laughs> retirement home or a human retirement home.
0: See, that one I can kind of get behind because you love your animals. I like that so much more than shooting them behind the barn. I really do. You know, <laughs> Right. But it's still... Uh, you know, I, it's crazy. It's it's absolutely insane.
1: <laughs> so here's here's a question. Is selfishness a prerequisite of, of being a CEO? Or just elite in general? Um, I mean, like, we've, we've talked on this podcast about mastery. And you brought up something very interesting to me. I, I happen to mention that I was a very selfish person in writing. That, like, I, I neglect a lot of things and I... I you know, writing eats up a lot of my time and I, I got good by basically being a bad friend to everybody who was asking me to go out Friday nights. And you said that mastery itself is selfish. Like you, you brought that concept up to me and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. So by that standard, if, if becoming so niche and so good at something, if you're dickfold and you become so good at manipulating a, a corporate structure around you, it, does it takes is it selfish does it take selfishness to get to that level of mastery and competence
0: I think definitely I think I'll give you you know any kind of sport it, you don't really get anything at the highest level it's one thing to be an achiever and to do well or be successful but at that level it has to be not only your family has to kind of obsess over it and they have to be all in with all their chips on you too and everyone calls at every marker and you have to say no to everything that's not in line with your goals because everyone else is willing to do the same. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Uh, um, Like you, you just reminded me of the Warren Buffett quote, which is, you know, um, the, the successful, you know, say no to almost everything. I'm misquoting it horribly, but yeah, the idea that, that you have to be selfish enough to focus on what you're doing to the exclusion of other things like that is, on its face selfish so and you can't i guess
0: i think too and i don't know if you agree with this i think you have to fire your friends sometimes and i don't think anyone gets to that level without doing a few things that would might be too uncomfortable to the (laughs) to us weaker right (laughs) whatever we are
1: (laughs) did you i've probably asked this time and again but did you read um rich dad
0: poor dad a long time ago. I just, get, I get that has been so commercialized. It kind of hurts my head, but go ahead. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason I'm asking is
1: in our opening, we, we talk about, um, books that try to make you into a CEO. There's a lot of books that encourage you to become your own business leader, become your own, you know, uh, rich person. Like it, it, it tries to put you into an elite category by putting you in the mindset. It teaches you to be street savvy, but you can't ever take their advice literally and follow their exact path because, I mean, it, it would create an economic disaster. So like one of our, our myths really is, could we take the same paths as other CEOs to become successful? Say, for instance, everybody took rich dad's advice and had rental properties. That's how the author became wealthy is, is he got rental properties and, and built up his properties over time. But... We can't all do that because what that looks like is the economy we have now. Um, there's, uh, We've talked about um, the economist from Britain, David uh, Lord Willet, and he wrote the book The Pinch, and it's all about how uh, an entire generation has gotten rental properties and it has left no single starter home properties for millennials. So it's like slowly collapsing the economy. <laughs> but there's there's other economies that have run into the same CEO mentality where everybody tried the same thing all at once. Um, Like one, uh, one argument I've heard uh, this came out after the big short, somebody um, in the news was arguing from, I think mad money. They were saying, you know, uh, everyone just needs to um, invest in the corporations they believe in. And, and that if everybody was financially intelligent with their money, meaning if they invest in the economy, we would be um, like our economy would be amazing. But that actually happened in China during the pandemic. Like, like what that looks like is a whole economy that is overvalued. Um, like 1.6 million new investors came out during lockdown in China. And they they have something like the S&P 500. They have a CSI 300. So it is, it is a index fund of the top 300 companies. It jumped like 30%. And obviously that's not sustainable it's crashing right now <laughs> it was overvalued when everybody bought in kind of like our S&P 500 is and then China started rolling out a bunch of new regulations in tech in general like laws that reduce how long teens are allowed to play video games and banning celebrities online and blah 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 my point is like I've I've tried to look at different self-help books about becoming a CEO and becoming your own billionaire and their advice, if everyone took any one of their solutions, it would crash the economy literally.
0: You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week.
1: You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback, and we love spirited debate.
0: We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.